What records? Uh, well, uh, Newman and I are going partners selling used records. I'll give you five bucks. Five dollars? What, do you know how much those records are worth? Yeah, I do. Five dollars. Those records are worth more than five dollars? Well, what do you got here? You know, you got Don Ho live in Honolulu. You got, uh, Jerry Vale sings Italian love songs. You got Sergio Mendez. Now, come on. Wait, wait, wait. Sergio Mendez has a cult following. Oh, they follow him like a cult. Yeah, he can't even walk down the street in South America. Well, look, that's his problem, all right? Now, you don't like it too bad. I don't like it. I don't like it. All right, well, then get the hell out of my store, all right? You bring me something decent, I'll give you some money. All right, we'll be back, Jack. All right. We'll be back, Jack. Hey. Hey. Well, here's your albums. What happened? Five dollars. He offered us five dollars. I mean, what kind of stuff are you listening to? You embarrassed me at that store. That guy thought we were a couple of total squares. Oh, yeah, you and your Sergio Mendez. Hey, 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 that guy can't even go to the bathroom in South America. Well, you Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, historian and archivist for the collected carpentry works of Harrison Ford. <laughs> nice. Relevant. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I'm just buried in Christmas presents over here. I got Christmas trees to my left, Christmas albums to my right. That's all. Oh, okay. They told me not to mention Christmas. You don't have an occupation related to that? No. <laughs> they oh, just yeah. told me not to mention Christmas. So you went and mentioned Christmas. So I went and mentioned Christmas. I'm devious. <laughs> Wild card. Because we're recording this before Christmas, but it will air after. Don't tell them. <laughs> we'll peek behind no, the curtain. I'll thoroughly explain the joke. It's funnier that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well... I am your co-host, Peter Cook, and I am the producer of a previously unreleased Western film from the vaults, directed by Sergio Leone with music by Sergio Mendez. It's called Buffalo 66. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I love it. A plus. Gold star. That's a great one. And I am your guest, Taylor Rowley, and I am... Wow. Hi, and I am blaming it Hi. on the bossa nova. Nice. Blame it on the bossa nova? Mm-hmm. I am blaming it on the bossa nova. What seems Taylor, how, how, how many episodes is this that you've been on now? Is this I'm starting the to lose track. You're a prolific fourth or this might be the fifth. fifth. I, believe, I think it's the oh, fifth Oh, yeah. Time I keep on. forgetting about the Richard Harris episode. How could you forget? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've been on here a number of times. Did you guys remember to send her the fifth time hat? No. Did we drop the ball? What? It's like Oh, it's so it's like a like an SNL thing, right? 
Yeah, like if you've been on five times, you get a hat. We haven't made the hat yet. You're the first. Yeah, I was gonna person, say I don't so. remember. I don't remember approving any <laughs> designs for our fifth time hat, Jeremy. Well, we're behind, falling apart. It's a ramshackle podcast we're running here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess we better get back on track and talk about a record. Okay. Weird. Um, okay. I mean, I guess, could... I guess Taylor, you should probably introduce yourself. I mean, to us, like you're an old friend, but it could be someone's first time hearing this <laughs> yeah. podcast. So I, again, yes, I am Taylor Rowley. I am a LA-based radio host and music supervisor for film and television. I have a radio show on NTS Radio um, that's on every third Thursday, I believe. Actually, it's the fourth, the four, every fourth Thursday. And it's called The Windmills of Your Mind. And yeah, some of the stuff I've worked on for film and TV include Pen15, which is out now, the final season. Yeah. It's on Hulu. Final season. Mm-hmm. On Hulu, yeah. Have y'all watched I have, it? I have yet? yet to watch. I have yet to watch it. I need to, I need to catch up on that. Cool. Yeah. It's Great re- show. Yeah. I'm really proud of this particular season um, with the music. So check it out. It's on Hulu. And I'm, I watched the other show. I think last time you were on, you mentioned a show coming out. Oh, yeah. Reservation and Dogs. now it's out. Yeah, and that show rules. Reservation Dogs. Yeah, that, I watched that. Man, what a great show. Yeah. And great soundtrack. Yeah, the music was really, that was really fun to work on. So the second season, I'm, it, it was renewed, so that's really great. Um, nice. from, you heard I, it here first. I have work. I'd buy that exclusive. So, um, yeah, so I think that'll, yeah, that was, so the second season should be coming out next year. But Pen15 is uh-huh. over, sadly. So I, I have a confession. We, we sometimes uh, provide confessions on okay. the show. I completely forgot that you worked on the music for Reservation Dogs, <laughs> but I did see it. And the whole time I was like, God, the soundtrack to this show fucking rips. This is so good. Yeah. So I'm the music coordinator on that. I don't want to take all the credit. I work with a woman named Tiffany Anders. And so she music supervised that, but I did help a lot. But there's an episode of Pen15 that I co-supervised on this new season that I'm very proud of. And... Spent many, many late nights for many weeks living on Japan standard time. It's a kind of a bottle episode about Maya Erskine's mom, who's from Japan. There's a bunch of Japanese deep cut tracks on there that were very hard to locate the rights for it. But yeah. Oh my. So, yeah. So yeah, I was living like 4 p.m. to working. My hours were like 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. for a long time. <laughs> well, luckily for you, that's not too much of a stretch. Yeah, right? it's true. <laughs> Uh, I am an idol. So anyway, uh, so what are we talking about today? So this is a record that both you and I are really into. Stillness by Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66. Definitely easily the most slept on Sergio Mendes record, I would say. Yeah, I agree. There's some amazing tracks on here. And which one should we start off with? I think we should start off with the title track. Just Definitely. Easy. It's the first one. Sets the mood. Still 
sitting on the window ledge It calls the day to wake up and diffuse the dewdrops Waiting song is the perfect opener for this album because it kind (laughs) of lulls you into this almost false sense of security at the beginning it's very relaxing and then Mm -hmm. even though the whole thing is acoustic and relatively mellow those you know guitar chords with the bass and then the vocals come up a little bit it's like a little bit jarring almost depending on how you're listening to this if you have a familiarity with sergio mendez i felt that was very jarring in the opposite direction of you expect some like heavy rhythmic groove going and that does a thing that i love in that track where they there's no groove going and Mm -hmm. it feels like you're like floating through time in this way that's very gently trippy to me that i i love that effect absolutely that's why it kind of works like a lullaby for me, to an extent, I when I first checked this out after we talked to Taylor about coming on for this mm-hmm. one, I was like, this is a great going to sleep album. <laughs> yeah, it's very like afternoon lucid dream nap. I feel the same way yeah. Um, yeah. about uh, that song Freedom Flight by uh, Shuggy Otis. It's the same kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I- I feel like the music on this record matches the album art really, really well, too. Mm -hmm. It's not super different from other stuff, but it's just got a kind of different vibe. It's got that hazy photograph. They're all chilling in the grass by Mm -hmm. the river. And then when you put the record on, it's like, oh, yeah, this kind of sounds like this album looks, which is always nice when an artist can pull that Mm -hmm. off well. Totally. I think they were trying perhaps... A little too late to get on sort of like a countercultural hippie kind of vibe but you know this is 1970 so it's kind of like kind of missed the boat on that one but i think it still works it's the tail end of it yeah and, we, and we've talked yeah. before about how like 1970 is like the real last year mm-hmm. of the 60s and there was definitely some albums coming out around this cultural transition time that just got lost yeah. because they weren't you know exactly poised at the right point 
Yeah, I think that this song is so beautiful. It's my, I, Lonnie Hall, who sings, we'll talk about her more. She's the main singer for um, Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66. I think her voice is just, there's nothing, none like it. She's, it's so emotive. It's so, she really, the way she stretches out certain parts and, uh, and just like spikes other parts. It's like, she's just, I love her interpret like interpretation always. And I think that if this song hadn't been, a Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66 song if she had had some you know if this was on a solo album of hers or like if it was on I can just see this song on like a female folk comp and everybody freaking out about it but I think that people just kind of pass over it because of who it is if that makes any sense yeah definitely they're still going with the band name Brazil 66 and dropping this in 1970. Like they weren't really doing themselves any favors at that point. And right. They were kind of already starting to get this reputation of having a dated sound. So yeah, it, it didn't come out at the right point, but man, what a great record. I know. And it does that cool thing. I don't think we're doing it. We're not going to play it, but they reprise it at the end, which is always really nice. I love the, when people bookend an album with the same song. I finished the playlist with the oh, reprisal great. Okay. at the end to finish off the playlist cool. so people can hear it there if they don't have the record. Awesome. I was just wondering, I don't uh, who wrote this song, and it's a woman named Paula Stone, who I've never heard of as a songwriter, and she wrote the song that comes after it, Righteous Life. And I did um, briefly looked into her, and apparently... She just all but disappeared, and no one has any information on who she is. But she wrote this really, like very, very beautiful, deep song, um, Stillness. Huh. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, Sergio seemed to have a real passion for working with non-famous, up-and-coming, younger musicians. And sometimes that resulted in him becoming friends with people before they became huge. And sometimes he just had these kind of flash in the pan collaborations where like, wow, this is beautiful work. And the person didn't seem to like do a lot more afterwards. Mm -hmm. Who did he break? Oh, like who got big? Yeah. After, who got big mm -hmm. after him? Um, Harrison Ford. What? <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford designed and built a recording studio what? for Sergio Mendez. When oh. he was a broke carpenter trying to either become a carpenter or an actor. Wow. And he claims that like he, he was just lying to Sergio the whole time. He didn't actually know how to do the things he was saying he could, but they just like hit it off really well as friends. And he uh. built the studio for him that Sergio recorded many records on. I believe at least part of this record was recorded in the studio that uh -huh. Harrison Ford built. <laughs> and uh, he said that he used that connection to like get, some more high-profile carpentry <laughs> jobs, including working on the set of a film called Star Wars that he ended up acting in. Right. Wow. Okay, so yeah, your intro, when you mentioned um, that you were the Harrison Ford carpentry archivist, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was relevant. I was just like, okay. Oh. But uh, he also had a collaboration and a big hit in 1983. His self-titled record on A&M in 1983, he had a huge uh, late period career hit with a song called Never Gonna Let You Go. And it was with it was a collaboration with this singer um, at the time who was completely unknown, Danny Sembello, who okay. kind of went on to make some like 
easy listening power pop hits in the 80s but like it was just like that was kind of more of an example of like a flash in the pan like the guy got huge for Mm -hmm. a couple years and then was gone okay yeah i don't know if i know who that is yeah and it's (laughs) (laughs) they had like a number one hit with this guy in 1983 and then he just kind of disappeared i'm trying to think i had like two other people that he had worked with before they got big i mean like the 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 two, I guess, more obvious examples would be Lonnie Hall mm-hmm. herself. She was a relatively unknown singer at the time. And then the girl that he hired to replace her in the band after that was also a relative unknown. Was that, that his then. wife? Yes. Okay. Yep. Christina. Christina Leparase. Leparase. Yeah. Okay. And she plays acoustic guitar on this record and had collaborated with the group uh, here and there before this. Uh-huh. But she eventually became the lead singer, and then his wife after that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's kind of the parallel to Herb Albert and Lenny Hall. Exactly, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and they're both couples are still married and mm-hmm. still friends and had a lot of nice things to say about each other in the documentary that I watched. <laughs> yeah, I think they had a f- they were had a rift that lasted a while, but then they... They re- they reconciled in I think the early eighties. So that must have been <laughs> he was must have been yeah. he was trying to mend. It sounds like the early eighties were a, a, a formative time for him. Anyway, uh, yeah, so because they went on, Lonnie Hall sings the theme song to that James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Is that it called? Is that a Bond movie? Right. It sounds like a Bond. Okay, movie. Right? <laughs> Never say die. No, this one's called Never Say Never Again. Yes, 1983. Yeah, 1983. And yeah, I don't, so I don't know Hall, my Bond movies. I don't know Bond either. Like I, it's I know the songs. Like really, that's I, to me the songs and like the opening credits are like the best part of any Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think Sergio Mendes wrote, and I think the that Lonnie Hall definitely sings it, and I think Sergio Mendes wrote and produced it, the song. And I think that's when they, they met, you know, they became friends again. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He had stated in the documentary that he was, he felt very hurt when mm-hmm. she quit the band. He was very surprised by it. In fact, she quit the band halfway through recording this record. So she's not on every track on here. We Oh, it's weird. Yeah. And the other female singer on here sounds a lot like her. Well, there's a few, there's two other ones, correct? I think. I think there's just two female singers on this record. I think there's three total, maybe. It's hard to tell sometimes because I was reading, and I didn't really realize this, but they double-tracked her voice on almost all of the records, so it may sound like there's more than one of her. Yeah, there were a couple um, times that it, it kind of had like a stereo lab thing yeah. going on. Yeah. That- was two that was two distinct singers, but, which I didn't know for a long time. I thought it was overdubbed with Stereo Lab. Mm-hmm. I went down a rabbit hole when I was listening to the album, and almost like half the tracks have double tracked vocals. And I was like, "Is this an early example of that?" Because this became, you know, a common indie thing. Mm-hmm. But it actually goes back to our boy Les Paul. And Mary Ford, who were the original people to do double track singing. In case you don't know, it means you sing the same part twice, 
and just like the slight variances in how you sing and the volumes, it sounds like one voice, but it kind of fills in, you know, the gaps mm -hmm. in each of the takes. So it sounds very like full, but when you do it that way, there's also these like variations between the two that give it kind of a, a, a little bit trippy feel, I'd say. So I'm, I'm looking this up, and Janice Hansen was the second vocalist in the earlier records by the group, and then the second vocalist on this record is a girl named Karen Phillip. Uh-huh. Um, it looks like she did a lot of work with Sergio. Uh, well, no, she started on Fool on the Hill in 68 and then was on this record and then did some stuff with Brazil 77 later on. All right, cool. so how about we listen to another track? Okay. Which one should we hear? They were very well known for, uh, you know, besides the songs that they sang in Portuguese, but they were also very well known for um, their interpretations of, you know, contemporary pop songs. So I think a really good example of that would be their cover of Joni Mitchell's Chelsea Morning. Yeah, love this track. Me too. Uh, side A, track three. time and dare i say i like this cover more i agree i agree as well i feel like artists that are known for doing a lot of covers are often kind of passed over as just being like a cheesy chasing the hits you know not putting the effort of writing originals in or something like that but sergio mendez has a real gift for interpreting and reinterpreting mm -hmm. 
other people's work. And I think this is a prime example of him making the song his own. And in this case, making the song better, possibly. I agree. I really love the vocals on it. I love the treatment of them. Um, I think it sounds like a boss song. It sounds like, you know, it doesn't, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, it's just great. I, it's so jubilant and I, I love how it just comes in with a bang. It's great. Yeah, his his sense of of rhythm and the complexity mm-hmm. that he puts into these songs is just amazing, and it's again the kind of thing that you can obsess over and notice, or just let it drift into the background on mm-hmm. a, a hazy afternoon. The other cover is really great too, or the cover that is for what it's worth. The other yeah. cover I recognized, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might feature that one later in the episode. Oh, I don't think okay. we've agreed on a fourth track yet, and I do like that song a lot. So. Well, I definitely like that version better because I'm not a Stephen Stills fan. Um, <laughs> so, um, Good reason. Yeah. So you guys want to hear a little biographical info yeah. on Sergio Mendez? Please. Well, it all started February 11th, <laughs> 1941. He was born in Brazil. And then he had a a very difficult early childhood. He had a big leg cast at around for about three years wow. as a young child because he had a, a, bone, a rare bone disease. And he was actually one of the first people in Brazil to be treated with penicillin. His father was a doctor and was able to get him early access to the medicine, which cured his disease. But even after the cure, his parents kept him from most physical or strenuous activity for fear that the disease might come back or that he still might be kind of weak from it. And his mother, as a result, bought him a piano so that he would be able to have an escape while still being stuck in the house most of the time. And he developed an early love for music and piano and arrangement and also had some friends in Brazil that had sizable imported American jazz record collections, which was kind of a rarity at that time. And many people in Brazil were not fully exposed to the jazz that was happening to the North. And he had stated that one of his biggest influences, one of the records that really jumped out at him and rocked his world was Dave Brubeck's classic time out. Oh yeah. Which also makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They had that kind of West coast breezy laid back vibe, which I think, translates perfectly into the bossa nova sound that was taking over the country at that point that was a pretty monumental record yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's a record that many 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 people heard i mean it was the best-selling jazz album for a long time i believe yeah i know my father-in-law cites that as a real turning point when he first discovered that record as a kid yeah yeah it was for many people i was an early favorite jazz record of mine as well So when he got older and was starting to enter the music scene, he became close friends and was mentored by the great Antonio Carlos Jobim, who was able to start getting him some more high-profile gigs, including working on Herbie Mann's 1962 album, Do the Bossa Nova, with Herbie Mann. And we had stated before that Herbie Mann was actually one of the first jazz musicians to do the jazz bossa nova crossover, even though, again, other musicians got a lot more credit for that fusion than he ever did. And not only that, but he was one of the only ones that traveled to Brazil and made a bossa nova record with an entirely Brazilian backing band, which at that point included a young Sergio Mendes. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
then we get to 1962. That's the year the Herbie Mann record came out. And then he also makes his first visit to the States. He goes to New York City in 1962. Sergio Mendez. Sergio Mendez did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I I believe went with Antonio Carlos Jobim and he was kind of introducing him to to some other players around there. And he became friends with Cannonball Adderley, who asked him to extend his visit to New York and make a record with him which then came out the following year as Cannonball's Bossa Nova. He then returned to Brazil and started to pioneer a newer fusion of jazz and Bossa Nova with Brazilian musicians playing in Brazil. And it became very popular because, again, not as many people were familiar with this trend that was happening in the States. So he uh, made some music around that time that many people in Brazil consider to be like one of the all-time great records from the Bossa Nova movement. He f- he moved back to the United States for good in 1964, which for anyone familiar with the history of Brazilian politics knows that that was the year that there was a military coup, which led to a long-standing dictatorship, and things were getting pretty rough in the country around that time. And he was able to use his connections and standing and fame as a local musician to get out before things got much worse. So he's in the States. He's putting together a band that is mostly people from Brazil that he got to move over there with him called Brazil 65. And he auditions a young unknown singer named Lonnie Hall in 1965. They're touring, trying to make it big, and someone recommends them to a guy named Herb Alpert, who was getting his label A&M Records off the ground. He was immediately a fan of them, signed them, and produced their debut album, which came out as Herb Alpert Presents Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, which had their massive breakthrough hit, Mais Canada, which is also very notable for being the first international hit song sung in Portuguese. And was the first time that many people had ever heard Bossa Nova. I think Portuguese is the sixth most spoken language in the world. That's interesting. Shocking. Yeah, it's shocking that that was the first time. But I read, I don't know too much about it, but I do know that it was at his Sergio's insistence that the songs, that they record songs in Portuguese. Not just English. Yeah. So that's really cool because, you know, he like pushed his like, you know, the record label and the producers to let them do that. Yeah. I had read that um, the first gig he ever had as Sergio and Brazil 65 was a, they were hired as the house band for a hotel and people didn't like the music because they weren't playing songs they recognized and they weren't singing them in English. So he was actually fired from his first ever (laughs) job in the States with this group. But thankfully sometimes a producer can see something that the average person doesn't and makes it work. And man, the songs that Sergio put together were just so good that it it like didn't even matter that people didn't (laughs) know what the words were at Mm -hmm. that point. And it was a huge accomplishment to be able to do that. And a huge point of pride for people from Brazil and Portuguese speakers everywhere. Was this before or after the girl from Ipanema? I think that was the early sixties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't give Let's you an exact what, what year. year was I was that? thinking maybe that was, I was trying to wonder I if that like, was the first Bossa Nova song that people really I guess that was like 61 or 62. Uh, Getz Gilberto was 63. 63? Yep. 
Yep. So, I mean, yeah, that was a lot of people's introduction too, but that stayed kind of in the jazz world. And Sergio mm-hmm. Mendes was the first one to really uh, break cool this pop. into more of a pop yeah. audience. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, one of the, the singer that you mentioned, Lonnie Hall, who sings, you know, we were talking about her. She actually, I don't think she auditioned for Sergio Mendes. She happened to be singing in a club. I think it was only her like third time perform like singing live. And she was performing at a coffee house in Chicago. And Sergio Mendez was happened to be there and he offered her a spot in his group on like uh right away after he heard her sing, is what I've read. Yeah, you're right. I did I did read that as well. Yeah. <laughs> My information was misleading. <laughs> but yeah, she was only nineteen and she was living with mom and dad and she only agreed to work with Sergio after he met her father and he had asked for his like blessing. It's kind of weird, but, um, and then that, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want your blessing to record your daughter. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So then, uh, she became the main singer as we were talking about. There was always, his idea was that there were going to be two female singers the whole time. But he, for whatever reason, he told her, he's like, but you will be the lead, which is true. You know, we like know her better than the other ones. Yeah. And then she worked with them until he, she left to pursue a solo career slash to uh, get married to Herb Alpert, who she fell in love with as he was helping them along. Yep. This is the seventh and final studio album mm-hmm. by Brazil 66. As we said, this came out in 1970, probably two years past the point where it could have been really well received. It's interesting to think about like, what if this had been their third record, you know, Mm -hmm. would it be embraced and remembered entirely differently? Who knows? But this one was kind of intended as sort of a loose concept album, definitely trying to be more of a, I guess, politically conscious or socially conscious, like hippie movement kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Countercultural. Yeah, exactly. While still maintaining a lot of elements of what the Brazil 66 sound was up until this point. And I love it. I love the, the variety. You know, you have some songs on here that are more straightforward bossa nova and songs that sound entirely different than what you would expect by them. And the whole thing plays really, really well as a full album piece. This one it's a complete package. It's a complete work of art, start to finish. Yeah, I really like the instrumental on there too. It's the second before the last. I think it's called Celebration of the Sunrise. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. I also have that one on the playlist because cool. yeah, that song is is great. <laughs> and they, I just have that in stillness as the two closers of the playlist because they pair really well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of songs on this record, should we dive in and hear another one now? Yeah. So I'm going to queue up side A track four, Cansao Donoso Amor, which features Sergio Mendez doing the lead vocals. And then a, there's a cool instrumental section at the end that we probably won't get to much of. But this is a good example of a more traditional bossa nova sound that I think is just beautiful. And this one actually follows Chelsea Morning directly on the record. So it's, a, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition of the two styles. Here we go. Ah, toda canção de amor Me faz Lembrar o nosso amor Nosso amor Toda vez uma canção me faz 
faz chorar Toda vez uma canção me lembra de você Me lembra dos teus olhos Lindos como a lua Brilhantes como estrelas Alegres de felicidade Olha meu amor Eu só me lembro de você, de você Ah, toda canção de amor Me faz Lembrar o nosso amor, nosso amor nosso amor que já merece uma canção Nosso amor que eu prometi Um dia lhe daria Com letra dessa vida Fazer a melodia A linda melodia Canção Sergio Mendez has such a great understated vocal approach on that track, but the tone of his voice is so perfect and the, mm-hmm. the dynamic level has just got that, that quiet element that just blends with the music so well. I, I've seen some reviews say that his, uh, his singing on here is boring, and I think that that entirely misses the point if that's your takeaway from this record. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, I felt like it was like a warm, cozy blanket, just kind of keeping me comfy from the cold. Mm-hmm. Like a just a breeze. It's very breezy. His right. singing is so good. He has a cult following. People call, follow him <laughs> like a cult. <laughs> yes, they do. Can't even walk down the street in South America <laughs> when I hear. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is the Seinfeld quote. Yeah, right. I had a thought, and now it's gone because of that. <laughs> yeah. I had a question for you guys. What? Do you know much about the production on this? I didn't really read anything about it, but I noticed a lot of the songs, the instruments were extremely separated from each other, and you'd find like things hard panned on the sides, and like the drums kind of just channeled into one... You can blame Zone. Harrison Ford for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> say, that's the studio. extent of my knowledge of the production on this, is that it was possibly partially recorded in a studio built by Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yeah. How come I keep hearing like blasters and tie fighters on <laughs> <laughs> the record? That's funny. But I suppose like a lot more overdubbing and studio experimentation would make sense if he has more control over the recording process than he had in previous records. Um, and also, you know, the hippie and psych records that they're influenced by on this used a lot of studio trickery like that. So I, I guess it makes sense to me that he would be doing those things. It didn't feel like trickery to me, though. That's what I was pretty intrigued by. Like, 
in quite a few of the songs, the instruments would remain like statically where they were in the mix. Yeah. But very separated from one another, which is kind of unusual. Usually people blend the instruments all together. So I don't know. I was intrigued and wanted to know if, if he knew more, but I guess just the Harrison Ford thing. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why you more. would expect more than that from, from me, honestly. But <laughs> if you want if you want to know the technical aspects of the studio recording, that's, <laughs> that's that's your area of research, my guy. It says it was recorded at a studio in Venice, Italy. So I don't I don't think it was Harrison's work. Unless he built a second studio in Venice, Italy, and we can't rule that possibility out. Right. I mean, Star Wars was shot at L Street Studios in London. So. <laughs> it all fits. Ah, true. <laughs> it's all coming together. Do we know about anyone who else who plays on this record besides yeah. the singers? You guys are always so good at connecting the people, you know, the people that play on records to other people you've talked about. So I was curious. That was like the one thing I just didn't have to research. Jesus I can read Christ. you the names off the uh, inside of the gatefold on the jacket if you want. Hmm. Well prepared and you'll pronounce all of the names properly. Oh, right. All right, here we go. Okay. Oscar Castro Neves is on bass flute on the song Stillness. Michael Lang is on piano. Mark Stevens on drums and Joe Osborne on bass. Joe Osborne. I know. That sounds like a person. I, I, th- I think I think he was on the Carpenters record that we did. Oh, interesting. And wasn't we talked about Herb Alpert on the Carpenters episode too, right? Yeah, because they yep. were on A right? Correct. Okay, cool. See, so I'll tie it back. I guess it makes sense. It makes sense that there's crossover, right? Mm-hmm. I'm double checking that it's the same. <laughs> Joe, Osborne Joe Osborne was a Wrecking Crew guy. Yeah. Uh, yes. And in the Nashville A team. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. He also played on a record called A Tramp Shining by Richard Harris. Yes. Oh, you guys remember doing that episode? Yes. <laughs> That's right. I think we actually, on the Carpenters episode, when I brought that, that he was on that uh, album, the, A Tramp Shining, I was in like, all right, Taylor, you'll, you'll come back and talk to us about that album too. <laughs> and it happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this uh this was released like the same year as Carpenter's and Close to You. <laughs> the second half of Sergio Mendez's career, I believe he worked pretty extensively with Stevie Wonder, am I wrong? Or he record he definitely covered a ton of Stevie Wonder's songs in his solo career. And that ties us yeah. back to Minnie Ripperton. So, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Connect, it all comes together. <laughs> Connect all the dots. Right. Soon you'll be able to connect every dot at your local thrift store's record yeah. collection. Well, I'm imagining like uh, you know those things they have at the poli- at police stations where it's like the string that connects you know those, the billboards yeah. <laughs> or the, the bulletin board. Yeah, and then it's just us like with no sleep, <laughs> drowning in coffee. Like, see, it's all connected, people. <laughs> well, I thought this is not related to our topic, but. I thought of you guys because you recently did a episode on Weather Report, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the drummer of the Weather Report is Peter Erskine, who is Maya Erskine's father. No way. Yep. From, Ma- from Maya, Maya Erskine plays Maya on Pen Fifteen, the show that I worked worked on. Yeah, well, and, her, her, and her 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 and her father, father on the show, is, is, on the show is a drummer. And yeah. in one of the episodes, the one I was wrenching earlier. Um, we used three Peter Erskine songs in the show. 
Incredible. Yeah. I did not know that connection. Yeah. So I've been meaning, I've been waiting to come on here and tell you guys that. <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> Love that. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys want to hear a little bit about this playlist I put together? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I selected the song Sundown by Lonnie Hall from Sundown Lady. Uh, there's also. A track by Antonio Carlos Jobim from the album Stoneflower on CTI, which I guess not technically a bargain bin record anymore, but you can still find that one. And it's around the same time as this, so it's another great example of kind of a fusion of jazz and pop and bossa nova with a real kind of dark, moody, hazy vibe to it. Highly recommend that record. Uh, there's some Herb Alpert on here, the track Warm. Or the sorry, the the track without her from the album Warm, which mm-hmm. I think has a very similar feel to this Sergio Mendes record that we're talking about. And then um, some of the stuff we've mentioned, there's the Cannonball Adderley and Herpy Man records on here that Sergio was a part of. I put a track from the Chico Buarque record that we covered on a previous episode, another hero of Brazilian music. And then a few other kind of south american influenced jazz artists like cal jader uh ghetto barbieri and michael franks are on here astrid gilberto as well and then like i said it closed it with the last two tracks on this album celebration of the sunrise and stillness reprise so you can check it all out on spotify just search i'd buy that podcast all one word to find this and every other playlist cool now before we before we uh say our final thoughts on Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66 on this record. I just got to say, Sean, I know you, you said uh, earlier that 1970 is considered the final year of the, the sixties, but as a diehard Tulane blacktop fan, <laughs> I, I got to say, you know, I think Monty Hellman on the director's commentary said that that 1971 film was the last film of the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> so, before, I'm just saying this because before we started, to give our listeners a peek behind the curtain, uh, Sean got after me for thinking that this album that we're talking about today was from 1971, <laughs> when it's from 1970, so I'm going to come back pedally and pedantically with a one-year difference. <laughs> publicly exacted his pedantic revenge. <laughs> I really just wanted to bring up uh, Tulane Blacktop and Monty Hellman, because I know I can't, Taylor's can't also... Can't blame you there, yeah. <laughs> Taylor's a big fan too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. That yes sounded like a no. Yeah, that didn't sound like the yes of a big fan. That sounded like the yes of a moderate fan. Maybe you're more into the uh, acid western. I like the idea of Tulane Blacktop more than I actually like it. Watching it. Yeah. Um, but Lori Bird, I think, is amazing. Yeah. Yep. And but She did, She wasn't in that many films either. No. She was in um, Play It Against Sam, I believe, which I love. No, no, sorry, it's Annie Hall, but we don't have to get into that. Uh, and, um, but she was the girlfriend of Art Garfunkel. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, she took well. the photo of his album Watermark, which leads us back to Richard Harris. There you go. Wow. <laughs> you truly are a professional at tying all these together. Uh-huh. Well, do we have any final thoughts on Sergio Mendez, Brazil 66? I, this, I, I really, 
I knew the the reference to Sergio Mendez in the Seinfeld episode. I knew his name. I don't really know that I had ever actively ever sought out his music, and uh, this album is a real treasure. For the longest time, I thought that Sergio Mendez was just like a novelty thing that wasn't actually good music because mm-hmm. especially when when bossa nova was big in the states there was a lot of really cheesy records that were made entirely yeah. by white people just kind of like using some brazilian rhythms and i just assumed that's what was going on and then over the years i knew like saw like record collectors that i respect were buying some of those sergio mendez albums and i kind of thought all right i should check this out and then when i picked this up that's when i was finally like okay this is a masterpiece and now I need to listen to everything else by Sergio Mendez and kind of fully worked backwards from there. And it, it's all good. There's a lot of really amazing music that this guy put out mm-hmm. and continue to put out through the eighties and nineties even. So there, yeah. there's a lot to dig into and most of it's real cheap. You can find it in the thrift stores. I mean, besides the Herb Alpert whipped cream cover, I feel like they're the, the Sergio, Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66 albums are like the most ubiquitous. Like when I think of a thrift store record, I think of whipped cream, the Carpenters and probably Sergio Mendez. Yeah, totally. I feel like all the records that you've come on and talked about really fit well <laughs> together too. And are kind of part of that, a similar aesthetic in a way. So the bargain bin royalty. <laughs> Yeah, with that kind of like soft 70s sound. That yeah, that's my fave. Yeah, for, for so long people hated on that stuff. And man, there's a lot of gems to be found. Mm-hmm. I do want to recommend Lonnie Hall's solo career. She, especially her first record that came out in 1972, which is called Sundown Lady. I believe you said there's a song on it on your playlist, but mm-hmm. it's great hearing her on her own. It's very, it's it's very understated it really lets her voice just really shine and it's a lot of covers it's very similar kind of like to the the repertoire that she was doing in um in the band but uh her she does this one i I don't she didn't write it but by the way she was one of the songwriters in sergio minutes in bristol 66 she wrote a number of songs for them for them but she uh does this song called ocean song which is my favorite so beautiful It, it reminds me a lot of stillness i was saying I think off the uh, before we got started here, um, that I feel like it's kind of like the spiritual sister to that to stillness ocean song. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be grabbing a copy of that record for myself mm-hmm. next time I see it out there, which it's it's pretty easy to find as well. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Yeah, she does a really good cover of Tiny Dancer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, are there any other final thoughts before we play this last track here? I want to thank Taylor for coming on and ask, is there anything else you want to mention to the people other than your fantastic radio show, Windmills of Your Mind? Uh, please do listen to Windmills of Your Mind. Uh, Tell them on, where again. It's on NTS Radio, which is a great internet radio station based out of London, but they have studios all over the world and DJs from all over the world. Well, I mean, I've been about three years on that station, but I've been, I had a radio show on KXLU, which is the big college radio station here in LA. I had that one for 16 years. I've been doing this for a long time, since 2003. Yeah. I'm dating myself. Yeah. Brazil 84, we'll say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, Yeah. you can hear that. Um, It's also archived on my website, which is windmillsofyourmind.org. But yeah, I would love it if next time I come on, we can talk about 
you tell me what you guys thought of Pen15. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I had made a note. I was like, I got to watch that before the next Taylor episode so I don't look like a fool and I can like talk about it. And now here we are, but I, I'm going to listen to it. I was, <laughs> I'm going to watch it. Anyway, I sorry. loved your Chris Williamson episode, by the way. And I literally did a forehead slap because I was like, of course, like I have so many Olivia records. I, that is... I was just saying what was, you know, ubiquitous at a thrift store, but I mean, you see those all the time. Yeah, yeah that definitely felt like a Taylor record. When yeah, we like Holly Near so. and uh, like, uh, I don't know if you guys got into her. Mm -hmm. I have so many of those, but that, that Chris Williamson record is especially good because not all of them are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, it's like, like, it's like greater, Livia record stuff, it's like, it's greater than the sum of their, if it's parts, you know? Yeah. Totally. So totally. anyway, great. You like, the, you like the idea of Olivia records <laughs> more than some of the, <laughs> the output. I do. I do. Well, hopefully when we have you back on in a couple months to perhaps talk the roaches. Yes, I think I definitely I think I, we will have all watched pen 15 by then. Great. Yes. Promise. Yeah. I would love to talk about that. Um, any of their records, but their first one is probably the best one. Yeah, I just picked that up for five bucks a few weeks back. What a treasure! Have what you heard them. it before? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, although I'm I'm still relatively new to them the last couple of years. So, it, it, like I knew of them, but only really started checking them out recently. So, well, they have a Christmas song. Well, okay, I have a Christmas record. I can listen to it. I guess we're oh, but sorry. Christmas is over. Right, we're Christmas is over. Christmas. Sorry, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> But yes, their hallelujah, their version of the hallelujah, hallelujah chorus is so good. Um, oh yes, I've heard that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. It was really fun. It's always really fun to talk to you. Yes. And Agreed. always look forward to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Congrats on another great year. I admire your dedication very much. Can't be stopped Thank at you. this point. <laughs> We're in it to win it. Yeah. Yeah. We can't stop. We won't stop. <laughs> Because it's been like what two years now? Well, this is season three, right? So yeah, we've been doing it just over two years. Yeah, amazing. Since since only seventeen more, and we'll catch up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's assuming that I stop doing it. You'll never catch up to me. Oh, uh, true. We got to sabotage <laughs> yeah. to even have a chance. All right. So, are we hearing the stills cover the Stephen Stillsness? Stillness. For what it's worth. For, for what it's worth, we'll listen to for what it's worth. Steven exactly. Stillsness. Off stillness. Cool. Yeah, this is one of my favorites on the record. An excellent cover with uh, some cool drums at the beginning, too. And that's it. The side B, track two, for what it's worth. Thanks for listening to another episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I am Sean Hartman. I'm Jamie Ruggles. I am Peter Cook. I'm Taylor Rowley. Bye. Farewell. Bring on that Buffalo Springfield cover. <laughs> Buffalo 66. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly Stop.
children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak. 